0: The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Go ahead and take a seat it's fun for me no doubt to see so many familiar faces walk in the door this evening also some new faces as well and I say welcome to you for those of you that were here last week you probably got to see some familiar faces last year's interns were uh, leading us in worship in song and as we came to the word and of course this week you've already had a chance to meet three of our new staff you'll have uh, a chance to meet one more a little bit later uh, in our service but we of course took the last week uh, not really off uh, as much as it was away getting a chance to get to know each other hear each other's stories spend a little bit of time together and of course uh, one of the ways that you do that is to compete so we uh, d- participated as the staff of of 13 and what we like to call the the McAvoy games the McAvoy Olympics if you will and it comprised of, of things that you've probably played before, things like volleyball. You guys have played some volleyball. You dig it. I like it. Okay. And then you probably played a little bit of kickball as well. But the crown jewel of the McAvoy Olympics is no doubt 12-person ultimate bocce. And so, what I mean, how many people are familiar with bocce? Hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care. Okay, so bocce, for those of you unfamiliar, you take the, the little pelota or whatever it's called. You toss it out there. And polino. You guys know what I'm talking about. So you throw the polino out there. You throw these different colored balls at it. And and so we were playing 12-person ultimate bocce. And uh, senior staff jumped out to an early lead. No shocker there. Okay, we kind of teased everybody, let the other interns and student interns back into a, a little while. and And it really came down to crunch time. And as we're, you know, trying to get to know each other, kind of the competition takes over. And the next thing you know, we're, we're needing some things to happen, okay? And, and it comes down to a critical throw, and Mike McAvoy is the senior staff's last hope for us to, to not only score points, to, but, but to repel points for the other teams. And as, Mac, as McAvoy, Mike McAvoy is one of the guys on our staff, kind of leans back, it was as if everything slowed down. Flashes in the sky. I'm thinking, is this going to be a flash forward or a flash backwards? I don't know. Okay, everything slows down and the ball's in there. Michael was like, no, you know, balls in the air. And sure enough, McAvoy with 12-man ultimate bocce is like the 2002 Tiger Woods. I mean, he's able to just place the ball, kind of work it perfectly. Senior staff scores points. Okay, it's looking good. And then as if if that wasn't good enough to cap it off for the senior staff to, to really clinch a once again dominant victory, Becky Riggers comes in clutch, game over, drive home safely, senior staff wins everybody 's happy, including the interns so we, we had a great time uh, last week getting, uh, getting to know each other a little bit and just and in, in celebrate some of, of the newness of this season now that 's one of the reasons I love September. I love this opportunity to start things. New. It's an opportunity for those of us that that are students, for those of us that are even working in in student culture, uh, to to have this this season of something new, something fresh. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the staff and I went to this conference where we we got to hear this speaker, this pastor from Atlanta named Andy Stanley, talk about about momentum and gaining momentum, and he says that. In almost every case, something new is what's, what can spark that positive momentum forward. And I know that, that as, as many of you are coming back to school, perhaps gaining that momentum is something that you desperately want. You're looking for that something new to get you moving in that direction that you want to move or that you feel called to. And for those of you that feel like, man, things are going great. I don't want this to end. Well, you want that momentum to continue. And even then, keeping things fresh and new in your life is a key to making that happen. Well, that's kind of looking at this whole idea of something new is what we want to spend the next three weeks looking at. Starting with, with tonight. And in order to do that, what we're going to do is look at places in scripture where a new name is given to individuals. We're going to look at, at these, this change of name, this new name as a sign of transformation. And we're, we're not going to just, just say, oh, their name was changed, but we're going to look at this to go, why did that happen and what was significant about God or or Jesus changing these people's names. You see, it's a sign of transformation. And for all of us that are here tonight, it's, it's I think, important that you would know that, that my hope for what this thing that we call University Ministries is, this community, is that we're a community that moves towards change because the gospel matters. We believe that what, what the gospel does, what the... the uh, What the Holy Spirit's work in our life does is change and transform us. And so we're going to spend some time looking at these name changes as an indicator of God's transforming work. And of course, pick up on some clues on how that might happen. Um, Now... As we're talking about names, it's probably a good idea for me to introduce myself for those of you that might be new. My name's Ryan Church. I'm one of the guys on staff here at UMIN, one of the pastors on staff here at University Presbyterian Church. My friends call me the R. Uh, it, it just, it just is. Some people go, well, dude, how, how did you get the nickname the R? And the story goes a little something like this. I was lying down kind of near a Rock down by the stream that I live in and, and I get this vision and you know, it, it, I mean it must have been the Lord speaking and it says, you shall no longer be called Ryan, you shall be called the R because you're money and I was like, oh yeah, oh, okay if you say so, so I've been called the R ever since, unfortunately on Twitter the R was already taken so on Twitter uh, I'm, I'm at the Ryan Church, so I still got to maintain the definitive article which I think is really the important part of this new name that I was given. Uh, but it is, it is not, and actually that whole story about me being down by the river, I just made that up on the fly, uh, which, but you guys already knew that. We're going to uh, to look at name changes that didn't happen like that. Uh, we're going to look at, at name changes that happened in a much more significant manner. But before we launch into what we're going to be doing tonight, let me pray for us. Gracious God, we may we hear your voice genuinely tonight as we seek you. Uh, Not only tonight, but throughout the fall and throughout the year. May we know you more. May we know how you work in us and how you work uh, in your people. And so, Lord, may we be attentive to Your Spirit as we come, uh, as we come to to Your story here tonight. Lord, uh, give us the ears to hear uh, what You are up to among us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So tonight, we are going to look at this guy named Abram, uh, whose name is is after we meet him, uh, eventually changed to Abraham. And this is a story that that I really believe you cannot hear too many times because it plays such a key role if we're to understand what the entire story of Scripture is all about. Because with this man, Abram, Abram, we, we see God speaking. We see the Lord speaking and entering into this relationship with Abram in a new way. In a way that had never been done before. And in so doing, this is God really beginning this plan that even now we participate in. And that plan is that God uses people to bring about blessing in the world. That God uses people to make the reality of God known throughout the world. That's the plan. That, that for those of us that, that, that call ourselves followers of Christ... For those of us that might know ourselves as children of God, that's what we participate in. And so the legacy that we participate in starts with this guy, Abram. And so Abram um, Abr- Abram is a compelling figure for Christians. And interestingly, he's a compelling figure for Muslims. And he's a compelling figure for Jews. Uh, as well, thus he's he's just a, a foundational character in how we uh, how we understand Scripture. Now, when you think of of Abraham, or when you think of Abram, the word that you need to be thinking of synonymously with this is the word covenant. Okay, now covenant is one of these words that that can often sound really religious that we don't really have a good idea of what covenant really is. In fact, often we, we jump directly from covenant to thinking that that is synonymous with contract, but it's actually very different. Now, to try and explain this whole idea of covenant, which honestly I find pretty difficult, I think the best way to talk about it is to talk about the covenant of marriage. Okay. The difference in, and to really start to, let me back up for a second. The, the, Foundational difference between a covenant and a contract is simply God. Okay, in a a contract, you have you have it's just between two people. Okay, so you have marriage, for example, which is a covenant because it's between a man, a woman, and God. Covenant. Okay, now. There are contracts in marriage, for example, where you would have a contract, the prenup is a contract. Holla, we want prenups, yeah, it's something that you need to have, because when you, okay, if you're uncomfortable with prenups, you could go with with your cell phone provider. Anybody who's tried to get out of a contract with your mobile phone company knows how how graceless contracts are, okay? that that once one thing is violated you're penalized in a contract all bets are off in a covenant not so much that's why we come back to this idea of marriage so this summer i i did uh, i did eight weddings 35 career but who's counting and what happens in marriage is that is that i'll, I'll get um i'll get up and and I'll explain that what we're doing here, we're getting up before God and witnesses and exchanging vows and, and uh, so, you know, so to speak, uh, committing to this love in this covenantal relationship because it includes God. And one of the things that I always say when we get to this part of, of you know, in our culture, we exchange rings as the symbol of being committed to vows that, that remain, uh, that are pure and priceless, um, and irreplaceable. Okay, that's that's one of the things that we say when we exchange vows. And on July fifth, two thousand two, just down the hall here at University Presbyterian Church, I got to participate in this time-honored tradition. This this gift of exchanging vows with another person in front of my. Uh, my community, in front of, of my Lord. It was uh, just an incredible day. And of course, to symbolize the vows that me and Julie Ann Wilson made on that day, she gave me a ring and I gave her a ring. Now, lucky for me, the symbol of this covenant is not actually part of the covenant in this case because that was, that was four rings ago. Okay, so every year that we've been married, uh, University Ministries has done a trip down to the Dominican Republic during spring break, every March. And so a couple years after we we were married, you know, I'm down there and I'm out with a bunch of students playing in the waves. We're in the Caribbean Sea. I'm thinking, oh, this is living. You know, we're surfing these waves in. And perhaps some of you have realized when you're swimming around in salt water, you, sometimes your skin can tend to get a little bit slimy. Okay, well, my fingers got a little bit slimy and I'm, I mean, this wave that I was riding in must have been gigantic because it had enough force to just take my ring right off of my finger. Ring gone. I was sick to my stomach. I could not believe that I lost my wedding ring for crying out loud. I'm sick about it. Luckily, my wife was not nearly as, as frustrated and upset about it as I was. And so, uh, shortly after I returned from that trip, uh, Julie and I went out, found another ring, and you know she kind of, you know, in a lot less dramatic style, presented me this this ring. It was actually really special, but you know, let's be honest, this ring didn't cost nearly as much as the first one did. Okay, so this is the part where if you were if you were reading this, I'd say, okay, now go back up to that paragraph that I just said, you know, highlight it, hit Control C. Okay, then after you've done that, jump down to the end, type three years later, and then hit control V. Okay, cut and paste this because three years later, I mean, I must have been in exactly the same spot in the Dominican, second ring, gone. I cannot believe it again. At this point, I'm not frustrated that the ring is gone. I'm frustrated that I'm dumb. Like, who does this twice? you know so I'm like oh gosh and and this time I, this time Julie wasn't nearly as charmed by it as she was the first time around and so then uh, came back she got me another ring and then I lost that ring about two weeks later after a round of golf I don't know how but it was gone so now I have this one um, number four right here that I can fidget with It it's like two rings in one maybe Julie's thinking hey at least there's two there so that if you lose one of them I don't have to go buy another one uh, and she got this one at Pike Place, I think, for like five bucks and presented it to me about as ceremoniously as you do when you bring home a bag of groceries. You know, oh, hey, I got your wedding ring. You know, that type of thing. We exchange rings as a symbol of this covenant relationship. This thing where we have not just said, yeah, I'm in, but where we have come before God and done that. In a contract, as soon as you break that, boom, all bets off. In a covenant, even if there are, I mean, I think about myself. I do my best to uphold those vows that I said to Julie Ann Wilson on July 5th, 2002. But I have, some days are better than others. Let Let me put it that way. But even in my transgressions there, because it's covenantal, even when I mess it up, it doesn't kill the deal that's covenant. And so what what's happened here is that God has entered into a covenantal relationship with this person named, named named Abraham. And Abraham is is also married to a woman named Sarai. When Yahweh comes and speaks to Abraham in some words that really that frankly have an impact on how we even understand ourselves and our faith even now. A key part of the scriptures. This is the first part of the covenant made to Abraham. This is Genesis chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Perhaps some of you have heard that phrase. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. What this is is the Lord establishing his chosen people. Through this man, Abraham. And this chosen people, are, they are a, a blessed people. Now, when you, when you see this word blessed, what does it mean? Again, a, a word that we sometimes struggle to, to know what it means. But the, the best, the, probably the easiest way to explain what this word blessed means, and there's several different words for blessed in Hebrew. This, the word that's used here, uh, is Baraka. Some of you perhaps have worked at the camp locally called Camp Baraka, Camp Blessing, okay? And what that means is bestowal of good. So to be, to be blessed is to be, have good bestowed upon you. So if this covenant that, that God is making with Abraham is, is paraphrased by saying you are blessed to be a blessing. The way that we might rephrase that to help you understand it might be that you have been bestowed good, that you may bestow good. that so help you understand what this, what this whole idea of covenant is all about, what God's idea in establishing this whole thing is all about. That I'm going to do a good thing in you that you share this. In fact, the whole world is going to be blessed through what I'm doing in you, in this covenant that we have, this agreement. But one of the things I forgot to mention, I, I'm not sure I made clear about, about covenant, is that it is done before God, but it includes promises and obligations. Something that we will return to a little bit later. So, Abram Abraham gets this, uh, has this encounter with God, hears him speak, and, and from here, he's, he's probably a little bit He's probably a little bit weirded out. Uh, he's probably a, a bit encouraged, but also mystified. Okay, this is a pretty sweet gig. If Yahweh, the Lord, comes and speaks to you, and and you hear him say, "You are blessed to be a blessing," my imagination says that would be all at once spectacularly encouraging and similarly terrifying and mysterious. In any event, at the uh, age of seventy-five, Abram departs. And from there, uh, instead of things getting better in the short term, they actually get worse. Okay, and you get this blessing. You're thinking, "All right, I'm headed, you know, I'm 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 headed uptown. This is looking good for me." Well, a famine comes over the land, and Abram and his wife are forced to to flee towards Egypt. And as Abram is looking at the, at the circumstances. He decides that, you know, um, I, need, I probably need to, to pimp out my wife here a little bit, you know. As we're headed down there, I don't want Pharaoh to harm me. I know he's going to think you're beautiful, Sarah, you know, Sarai. So I'm going to tell him you're my sister so that, you know, you can go hang out with the Pharaoh. And it's, you know, get down, girl. Go ahead. Get down. Okay. So they, that happens. And Pharaoh actually, after he finds out that this is Abram's wife... Gets pretty upset about it. I mean, he's he's kind of weirded out, worried that this Yahweh is going to bring uh, curses down upon him. So he says, you know, why don't you get out of here? Well, once that happens, and the blessings that have been promised and have been anticipated are still not happening, happening, i.e., bearing children. Sarai has not had any children. Then she kind of pimps out Abraham. Get down, Abe. Go ahead. Get down with. My maidservant, Hagar. And in so doing, and my, my imagination says that at that point, Abram is kind of going, well, if you insist, and God did promise, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And Hagar, of course, does conceive a child, and, and in the process, there's this really interesting paradox of all at once more blessing and more chaos. But what Abram is, is effectively doing here is trying to go about living into this blessing on his own. He sees it as his job, his responsibility to bring about this blessing, to conjure it up. Man, what do I need to do? Maybe I should s- sleep With my wife's maidservant, because we gotta have, we gotta start having kids. If, if this whole thing is gonna happen and the whole world is gonna be blessed and my descendants, that means I gotta start having kids and I don't have kids and I'm not getting any younger. I have to do something. You see, Abram doesn't quite get it. He thinks that in this whole idea of covenant, And the blessings that come in that covenant, his mistake is that he's thinking it's all about him. When really, those words in Genesis 12 said, I will bless. The covenant is first and foremost about what God will do. Not about what Abram is supposed to do. So what I've just explained to you happens over the next couple chapters. This first one happens in Genesis 12 where Yahweh speaks for the first time. Then Yahweh comes back in Genesis 15 and says, and, and, and re-ups the promise. Tries to remind Abram of it again. But that's not enough. So it comes it comes down to this third time. 25 years later, the Lord approaches Abram for a third time. Tr- third time, to say the same thing, but perhaps to make it a little clearer. Now, I want to read from Genesis 17, and as we do so, I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice where the Lord says, I will. I want you to notice where he also says, you are. Genesis 17 says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you and will greatly increase your numbers. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. For a third time, Abram has had to hear this, this promise, this word from the Lord, because he keeps misunderstanding it. Recently I took a spiritual gifts kind of assessment, or a kind of a I guess it's not really a gifts assessment as much, it's just kind of a this uh spiritual assessment, and one of the things that the, that it spit back out at you was was the biblical character that you are most like. And what this character, and as you could probably predict, uh, the character that I was given back was Abraham. And it's been interesting for me to explore what it is about Abraham that that I do feel like I identify with him in some ways. And it is this whole idea of, of, come on, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm doing I'm going out there and trying to live my life the best I can for you. I'm trying to be be faithful, but aren't all these aren't there all these things that I need to do? Perhaps you can identify with this as well. Uh, one of the ways this plays out for me is that I will um, identify a particular desire or need in my life. And I think probably like a lot of people in this room certainly like I, what I think like a good Christian would do, often I start by praying. Okay, I've got this thing down. I'm going to pray about it. And so and so I pray. And of course, that's a good thing. Anytime... I think the one place that I don't sin in my life is in prayer. It's one of the reasons I like prayer. It, it seems like it's impossible for me to sin in prayer. But I'll pray this prayer, and then what happens? I'll say amen, and immediately go about trying to answer that prayer myself. Do you ever do that? Say amen, and then immediately go about constructing your own answer to what you just prayed. Some ways, Abram gets this great promise, this great word, and then immediately goes about trying To bring about what this blessing is himself. But God returns to him a third time. What we've just read and says, remember, this is not about you. So much so that I'm going to change your name. This thing that we've been doing together for 25 years, that should put a lot of you at ease. Those of you that perhaps feel spiritually stagnant. Like, where has God been all these years? Abram's waiting for 25 years. And all of a sudden, what happens is the Lord shows up and says, this thing that we've been talking about for 25 years, I'm going to do the same thing, but it's going to be new. It's going to be new. You will no longer be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. You will be the father of nations. This thing that we talked about, it's still intact. But it's not about you and your timing. It's about me and what I'm doing, says the Lord. It's an old promise, but a new thing that's happening. And Abraham is transformed by it to the degree that he gets a new name. Two reflections out of these words from Genesis 17. The first is this. When he says, walk faithfully and be blameless. I think what had happened in the previous five chapters is that Abram was walking more towards uh, obligation or success and perhaps not as much faithfully. And all God was trying to say there was it's not about you being successful or spectacular. It is about you being faithful. About you keeping the faith in this deal that we have made. Stay faithful and walk blamelessly. This is something that I'm sure the UMIN staff is absolutely sick and tired of hearing me talk about, but over the past couple of years has, has become incredibly evident to me per the words of Mother Teresa when, when I read uh, an excerpt from her where she clearly understood that God had not called her to success in her work in India. God had called her first and foremost to faithfulness. I think that's part of our covenant. First being faithful. It's not about what we accomplish. This covenant of which we are a part of is first and foremost about God. Walk faithfully and blamelessly, not necessarily successfully and spectacularly. Big difference. And a big difference from what I think our culture tells us about how we are to walk. Second reflection is is this, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll sing a song to close. I will. I will. In chapter seventeen, go count them up for yourself. Fourteen times, the Lord says, "I will." It's not, go out there and make a name for yourself. Good luck, we're all counting on you. This is the Lord saying, I will. And we might protest this and go, if Abraham isn't going to be successful, then then who is? I think the Lord answers that question. I will but did you notice the words that followed that I think tell us something very significant about the character and heart and kingdom of God? I will make. I will greatly. I will establish. I will give. I will be. I will bless, giving, blessing, establishing, making. Friends, that's the kingdom of God. Those are characteristics of what God is doing, what God has been doing, God is doing, and God, what God will be doing. That's the covenant he's made to Abraham, that we inherit I will. You see, this covenant that was originated in Abraham has been continued and renewed in Jesus Christ. And indeed, we in all the world have been blessed. Have been bestowed good. It is this old thing that is continually made new in our lives. And so our challenge tonight, as we hear this word, is to ask ourselves, what do we expect from God? Or are we expecting from ourselves? Is the onus on us, or is the onus on God? I will. Friends, the message of Abram becoming Abraham, the new thing happening in his life is that it's primarily about God in relationship and what God does. So let us be encouraged that we might be people that look first to God because we are part of this covenant relationship, this thing that has lasted forever. And that we know, because of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and glorious resurrection, his blood poured out for us. This new covenant that continues the old one. That matters in our lives now. Walk faithfully. God will. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you that you, you come back to us over and over again in relationship. That, Lord, it, with you it is not a contract, uh, but because of you it's a covenant. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we go about trying to bless ourselves instead of simply receiving the good that you would bestow on us. Lord, forgive us as we do receive that good uh, for the ways that we don't share it. But Lord, by your Spirit, uh, would you uh, open our eyes to see what you're doing that we might be people that walk faithfully knowing that you will.